0: Today's guest is Dave Burns the business monk uh, this is the second time he's been on the show you may have caught our earlier episode on sales alchemy and uh, Dave as you could probably guess from this title uh, mixes virtuality and business which is something I've been really interested in uh, because we speak about like uh four hour work week or earlier in this podcast and how I used to be super obsessed with productivity and maximizing, uh, efficiency and I used to do, apply the Pareto rule, the 80-20 rule to everything possible and it kind of left me miserable even though I created a quite productive lifestyle. And uh, yeah, Dave hits on a lot of uh, really important topics when it comes to, I think particularly being a, a solo entrepreneur, but I'd imagine if you're part of a large team, it would also be uh, important to pay attention to uh, where you're getting fulfillment and how you are serving um, and takes a lot of the stress away uh, when I think about uh, like the the minute goals of like making money or these arbitrary uh, objectives we put up. We speak about goals quite a bit, so I'm not gonna say too much about that here. Uh, one thing that's really interesting about speaking with Dave um, is that he likes to take these long pauses uh, when he speaks um, and. I don't know if he does that in real life, but I've spoken to him more in podcast form uh, than in person. And uh, it's cool because I, I what I imagine is part of his practice is being uh, present as fuck. But he also, um, when I'm speaking to him, I feel forced to feel my feelings while we speak because he'll take this slow pause in between thoughts. And I'm like, oh, I need to really let this land as opposed to what I usually do when I'm a guest on someone else's show, which is keep talking uh, about whatever i'm thinking about um and uh this is great for the topic because dave touches on a lot of abstract principles around spirituality and business left me a lot to think about afterwards i hope you enjoy this this is episode 019 dave burns business monk you're listening to the rwando podcast perpetual orgasm infinite play please subscribe on itunes and enjoy the show Hey Dave. Hello. Oh wait, so where are you right now? In Venice, California. Cool. What brought you over there this week or now?
1: Mostly the superiority of weather. Gotcha. And also the vision of Carolyn, my partner, of being here rather than in New York, which I think we're related. Gotcha. Wait, so did you move or are you, this is a long-term Move thing? is maybe a strong term. We're at Airbnbs right now, but okay. it looks like it, it's going to be indefinitely, at least for the winter. Cool. Awesome. Sweet. I think that's a
0: good plan. Yeah. Uh, so far I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, so what's been doing recently?
1: What's been doing? Yeah. Oh man, where to start? Well, I could talk about things I've been thinking about. I could talk about things that I've been doing externally, or I could talk about things that I've been doing internally, which
0: would be well, more interesting. Uh, we could get to all of those, uh, but actually, for just so I know, um, so you reached out because I guess our last podcast pops up a lot, and I guess you have an assistant now, or you were looking for an assistant? Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I just found my,
1: per- we just started today working with my perfect assistant. Awesome. I've been looking for one for a while. Cool. Uh, yeah. you I mean the motivation for me doing another podcast with you? Well, yeah, because I your, guess uh, the sales podcast. alchemy
0: wasn't, uh, isn't where you're, the direction your external business is going at the moment?
1: Sure. Yeah. Everything I'm doing is certainly aligned with what we talked about last time. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of sales alchemy area. But when I put out my search for an assistant, I had about 200 responses. And when I replied to the people who saw my name and looked me up,
0: and your podcast apparently has more visibility than anything else publicly about me. Uh, That's crazy to me because I I don't like do any sort of SEO. I don't have a lot of traffic to my site relative yeah. to things that are in existence, but
1: yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. So people, I, I just, I kept having to explain that sales alchemy isn't the only thing that I do uh-huh. on all of these assistant calls. And so I thought it would be simpler if we could just have another conversation. We talk about things other than that so that in the future, I don't have to keep having that conversation with people when they find Got
0: it Okay, Cool. What was the motivation for getting an assistant?
1: Well, I've worked with virtual assistants for a while now. Mm -hmm. Um, This is going to be the first, it's going to be some of the time in person, but my, my motivation for getting an assistant broadly is that there are certain things that I do that are high impact. Mm. It's hard to find someone else to do. There are certain things that are not. And so, for example, writing, the one-on-one work that I do, speaking, teaching, Mm. those are things that it's hard to find uh, an outsourcer for. Right. Most other things in my business, other people can do at least as well as I can. Mm. And so divvying them up feels good to me to have everyone resting in their zone of genius, myself included. Cool.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah. I recently got a a video editor and podcast editor, which are not like super intensive things, at least for the media that I put out, but it's nice to not have to spend any energy on things that aren't my thing that I love doing all the time.
1: Right. Exactly. It's an excellent way to put it.
0: Yeah. Sweet. Cool. All right. So moving along the chain of uh, what's doing... Um. But so, what, what, as far as like external business things, uh, what what has been going on lately for you? In terms of what I'm up to in the world, mm-hmm. that's that's probably
1: the least interesting thing to talk about. Oh, shit! Uh, okay. Things, I'm <laughs> continuing to put on workshops, uh, sacred mm-hmm. business workshops, in LA and SF. In the next month, I'm going to be hosting a men's retreat this winter. I'm doing speaking and training gigs as well as continuing
0: one-on-one work. Gotcha. Okay. Point taken. We actually got a question from someone who's not on right now, but uh she submitted the question. Dave, what are your greatest desires? Oh, that's amazing.
1: So the first one that comes up hearing that question is this book that i'm working on right now mm-hmm. i have uh, a huge desire for this book to be finished exquisitely published widely read mm-hmm. and impactful so connected with that is a kind of larger mission i want i want to have an incredible impact in people's lives i want i want to destroy the kind of barrier that people have internally and externally between the practice of business and spiritual practice. Hmm. I want to pull people out of the kind of hustle hamster wheel into a different dimension of work. But the those are very abstract things. The concrete vehicle right now that's holding that desire the most strongly is this book. Gotcha.
0: And the book is about sacred business? It is. Yeah. It's called The Business Monk. Cool uh so do you wanna speak a little bit about what's in what's in it sure
1: yeah the the book is kind of part descriptive parts prescriptive about the next generation of business where with the for example the four hour work week, which is amazing uh-huh. they're there was a kind of new generation of entrepreneurship and business broadly birthed from that. Mm-hmm. The idea of escaping the kind of constant grinds using principles of leverage and delegation. And th- there's still baked into the idea of the four hour work week
0: an idea that I take issue with. That you want that- to limit your time working? That's one way to
1: say it. Okay. The The idea that I take issue with is that you do business for the purpose of creating leisure. And during that leisure, then you do what you really want to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's actually... So 4-Hour week was my Bible for many years uh, from before I ever did anything in business in college... Uh, till I actually had a business that was close to a four hour work week for a while. And, um, I definitely found, I mean, well, I took it to an extreme where I 80, 20 everything. I delegated things I didn't even need to delegate. And I was like trying to limit, I was like always tracking how many dollars I was receiving with how many minutes I spent working and trying to get that, trying to maximize my dollars per hour. And I was pretty miserable. I had like an eight hour work week lived in the city and I was kind of like bored the other however many hours during a week after you right. subtract me. Um, so I'm really curious about what you're, what you're talking about because uh, that's what I found uh, through doing that. Where was like, even if it was only eight hours, like I was very upset or not happy with that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, there's, there's a huge question that comes up after you've delegated everything and you're working eight hours
0: a week, which is like, what, what else do I do? Right. <laughs> I would write that in my journal every day. Like, what should I do today? Right. And
1: there are good answers to that question, but the question comes up because the whole motivation, and I don't think this is actually true for Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. I think he's, I'm giving a kind of, um, the most common misinterpret misinterpretation of the four hour work week. I think Tim Ferriss is an amazing man and entrepreneur and Mm -hmm. gets, the principles that we'll talk about later today. Um, But the way that the four hour work week is applied and uh, kind of easy interpretation to take from it is you're trying to free yourself from business. Mm -hmm. You're trying to minimize it because it sucks so that you can do things that don't suck. Yeah. Rather than shifting your relationship to business in a way that business is
0: at least as fulfilling and ecstatic as every other part of life. Gotcha. So, uh, I, I remember going, I read for our work week many, many times also. And I remember going through that process of figuring out monthly expenses, breaking it down to like a uh, target daily income. And then like, like how could I make this m- amount of money today? For instance, um, do you have a, a similar process like that or is it, is it less uh, tangible? You mean the kind of business what is the business monk practice? Right. So
1: the four-hour four work week is amazing because its principles are true. Mm-hmm. Like the, the principles of leverage and delegation and everything else are true. So they work if you do them. The the concrete practices laid out in the business monk and it's you know it's part theory it's part practice there's some stories and case studies but the the practices are less about leverage in business they are about one one's relationship with business mm-hmm. so what are the kind of concrete practices that you can engage in such that those 8 hours that you spend or 20 or 40 or 60 Working you could do forever mm. the, the, they how can you approach them? How can you engage with them in such a way that they feed every part of your soul?
0: Mm. And where does one start because uh, I'm trying to now apply what you're just saying now to my work, and like there's times where there's certain activities that I love. But I don't know if there's anything that I love all the time to the point where I would do it all the time and maybe that's my actually relationship because now I think like I love writing but when I feel like I have to write x thing for x purpose I usually don't um so is there like what is like how does one find that thing or start cultivating that relationship well there's, there's a few questions there one is what do you do about the fact
1: that most things that you enjoy you wouldn't enjoy doing all of the time right uh the next is what do you do about the fact that certain things that you do enjoy intrinsically when you approach them a certain way you hate mm-hmm. don't do um was there another question uh there might have been but i think that's, okay. that's all right, that's right we'll start with good. Yeah. so The the relationship between variety and fulfillment is a kind of fascinating one. Mm -hmm. There there are certain kind of paths of working, for example, data entry, where if, if that feels like it's calling to you as your path, I think it genuinely may be for certain people. It hasn't been part of mine, but like data entry that are extremely repetitive over and over. Just little up and down, often little kind of urgency. There's a certain approach to that kind of practice of work that will make it fulfilling. will make it more fulfilling than just kind of unconsciously approaching it. Mm-hmm. There certain practices of presence of care of using the repetitive nature as a kind of vehicle to enter into ecstatic states of thoughtlessness that are possible i've 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 practiced this kind of thing, um, routinely as as a kind of curiosity. Uh, right now, there's not a ton in my business that's repetitive, but in the past, I've I've set up repetitive chunks of time in order to explore these principles. And it's true; it's possible you can you can deepen your experience as a human being to the point where entering in data is ecstatic. It's possible more of the time. In, in most things that are described as like work or business, there's, uh, especially for entrepreneurship, a high degree of variability on a day-to-day. There's often kind of, this is why a lot of people end up in a state of reactivity in business, just physiologically. Things are changing. Things are coming at you all of the time. And... that ends up being the bulk of what I talk about in the book is different forms of relating to the kind of constant
0: change of business. Um, gotcha. So you don't, you don't address the repetitive thing as much because it sounds like you were describing like the, the chop wood, carry water type of idea.
1: The, the chop wood, carry water is a, is a, the reality is it's a fairly simple practice mm-hmm. to cultivate. it's, it's genius is in its simplicity. So yeah. in the current draft form of the book, I have some sections on the kind of repetitive activities of business and how to deepen mm-hmm. into those, how to use those as a vehicle for awakening further. Um, but the the bulk of it, what kind of fascinates me most is the relationship to the chaos of business. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where I've gravitated towards as my kind of core practice, because f- 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 the reason for me is that repetitive activity is actually much simpler for me to be ecstatic in. Like mm. I can, I can rest, you know, just, just sitting, just the practice of sitting repetitive activity is kind of one degree removed from just sitting is incredibly easy for me to relax and to bless with.
0: Yeah. I find that with simple, uh, more physical tasks. Like today I wasn't feeling so great. I worked out really hard this morning. I didn't feel like doing anything, but I was super joyous to put together a bed that just came in, uh, the mail and I spent most of the afternoon putting assembling this and it was great. Right. And I didn't. Yeah. But I I was like, Oh, there's so many things I should, I should have done today. That would, that would be more beneficial than putting together a bed. But that's what I want to do. I know so, exactly what. You, washing dishes is a huge one. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Like, but I, I used to drive for Uber a few years ago, and I I miss it. I miss that action of just taking a person from one place to another. Yeah. And not thinking. Right. Just having a random conversation. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a subtle beauty in the kind of
1: repetitive form that's amazing. That's so that's that's super easy for me to appreciate. Yeah the the stretch for me still, and this is why I continue engaging with business as a practice mm-hmm. is cultivating that same kind of sort of ecstatic relaxation in the face of the chaos of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. So what are you working on internally? I know you have, you have the book, but like in, in this, how, how are you cultivating your own relationship to the chaos of business?
1: Yeah. So there are a few things that are right up in my face right now Mm -hmm. as, as practices, I'll say one kind of key area i'm stretching is there's uh there's a particular quality of focus of attention that gets written about in some zen texts it gets talked about especially in the context of martial arts mm-hmm. but it's a kind of combination of diffuse presence of being aware of everything in the periphery and being aware of the awareness of that with single-pointed focus, particularly single-pointed focus on a goal at hand. Mm -hmm. So, Practicing those forms of attention simultaneously so that I'm feeling a goal of let's say booking this next speaking gig mm-hmm. with wholehearted single point attention that that goal and its immediate steps are being held in a kind of wedge shape in my attention. that's piercing reality while also being totally relaxed and present with everything that's immediately around me. So my laptop, my body, the surrounding room, the space that we're sitting in, the universe, the the cultivation of that kind of dual attention at the same time requires a sort of balancing act. I Right now, my main stretch is I have a tendency to dive into the single pointed focus. So I'll get sort of wholeheartedly oriented on the goal. And what happens generally as a result is I'll become sloppy. So I'll like typos in an email uh, or I'll I'll act too fast on something before I've really felt into it. But when the two are wedded, when I can kind of sit back while maintaining the focus, then things happen with a a kind of grace and speed
0: that can't be faked. Hmm. Yeah, it's something I've thought about a lot, not in the context of business, but like um there's a lot I mean, the virtue of having a having focus on your intention is huge in the positive thinking world. I mean, that's that whole branch of uh, thought has become very popular lately. But also that's kind of the opposite of like being really where you are. It's like not Taoist to really focus on the future. And I've uh pondered that a lot. Like, do you just like take turns? Like how does how does one uh, not end up in a contradiction there.
1: That's a
0: so that's a massive question at the heart of the business monk.
1: Mm. Actually, is cool. There's this kind of hyper American positive thought affirmational world. Yeah, that clearly has some wisdom to it. Right. For for certain people, it produces amazing results. I've I've played with it plenty, and then there's also ancient wisdom of millennia of non-attachment and total presence with everything that is as it
0: unfolds yeah and that has always been scary to me at least to the degree that i am attached to certain things happening in my future whereas like i uh i'm perhaps I'm, i'm also similar in that i could really find bliss in stillness and i also i think i lean towards just like being where i am like uh as opposed to like, I mean, I'll write my goal on my whiteboard, but I won't look at the whiteboard right. for for weeks because I'm busy doing things that I like doing. And then the quarter passes. I'm like, oh, shit, I actually didn't hit that thing that I was planning on. Oh, bummer. Mm-hmm. Should I feel bad about it? Now I'll, I'll give myself, I'll stop being guilty and just go on with my life. But then the the fear, though, is no New Year's resolutions get accomplished. Five-year goals take 10 years or never. Right. Yeah. So I guess it's not something that you can answer. It's, it seems like you're some it's a topic that you're exploring through an entire book.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge one. I mean yeah. I'm happy to riff on it. <laughs> and we're we're not I don't think we're gonna get to the bottom of it today. Right. I'll say kind of preliminary thoughts. the question that gives birth to all of these different modalities is how do I live? What is the highest art of human life? Mm -hmm. And the reality of the art of human life is an extraordinarily complex one the human mind the human body the human life is is a complex system in a mathematical sense it's it's nonlinear and so different approaches to the art of life for the most part offer a kind of in my opinion refuge from The terror of that question, this question of how do I live? What is the highest art of my life? And the refuge comes in the form of an answer. This is how you live. You only think positively or in every moment you relax into whatever's happening or you Ensure that your gut microbiome is well populated with probiotics
0: and prebiotics. Right. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, uh, there's so much spiritual competition in the nutritional nutritional world. <laughs> like, people fight over it with such anger. Oh my god! So over, like, much oh, this, this is the right way. Like, again, if you're not eating meat or you are eating meat, like, you're an idiot. And, like, it's like the it's like the God question of yeah. the previous centuries. That's amazingly true.
1: Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, the nutritional, its a, that's a super clear version of it.
0: And- yeah, it, it shocks me how angry people get over, like, <laughs> I, I posted something of like, oh, I'm interested in um, interviewing a birth- breatharian. I just want to understand, like, what, is, what does it mean to not eat food? People got so angry that I would even uh, entertain this idea. Wow. And, and like, you know, paleo and vegan people fight all the time. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it is coming back to the question you're saying, which is what is the best way to live? Right. That's Uh, the question. Yeah, they want to stick to their they want to make sure that they have the right answer Mm because otherwise they're not living it. Right. Exactly. So.
1: When it comes to. Living out the answer to that question. My opinion is generally buying into a single pre-existing framework is compelling because it answers the question. It's a terrifying question. And for the most part, maybe universally, maybe not, pre-existing frameworks, by virtue of being static frameworks, have to be simplistic. Now, the kind of oversimplicity of each one is amazing, is amazingly powerful because it gives guidelines and constraints for people to follow. And if they do something that's pretty good over and over with consistency, that's way better than just flailing around
0: unconsciously. Yeah, Wait. so so actually, I want to go back to that statement that you just said about simplicity and uh, the static nature. Um, Because I've thought about this a lot. Lately, it's like we all want to have like the absolute rule for doing the thing like, oh, always eat meat or whatever, whatever the thing is. Um, but there's few things like that. And what you're saying is when it gets too complex, that's when you start uh, having rules that don't always apply. They're no longer absolutes because the absolute rules are really simple.
1: I was so there's truth in that. I was sort of saying the opposite. Oh, okay. And I think the the sweetness, like the sense of relief of grabbing onto a framework is that it is simple. Mm-hmm. And we crave that kind of simplicity. Just know, oh my God, okay, just never eat meat.
0: Awesome. Oh, simplicity awesome. in the thought of the user. Right. Which can be given by potentially a complex framework where it tells you exactly what to eat for each thing. For yeah. An example. Exactly. Yeah. Back. Let's,
1: I mean, it, I, I want to make this concrete. So, in certain personal development spheres, let's say you know, a, lot of, a lot of followers of Tony Robbins are big proponents of the kind of map of your state, gives birth to your story. So your, your physiological and psychological state, which are linked, give birth to a story. And from that story follows an action, from the action follow the results. So what you really need to do, the primary point of focus then is your state your psychological state which you influence through your physiological state so they, you know if they're not getting results and they focus on changing the state of their body mm-hmm. every time they you know that's that's their practice mm-hmm. then their psychological state shifts and then a good story comes up and out of the story then they take an action easily now you know the incredibly complex system of the human mind and body does, in fact, have interactions in those directions. So it's true that your physical state influences your psychological state, influences the thoughts that you have, influences the actions you take, influence your results. That's true. It's also not true that that's the one direction that things move in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, similarly, it's true that you know, when you have it seems to be true that when you have a whole health, healthy gut microbiome, then your neurotransmitter balance tends to be better. You tend to have healthier amounts of serotonin floating around. So as a result, you'll be less anxious, you'll be able to function better, you'll create better results, you'll have more money. So you should really just make sure you take lots of probiotics and then you'll have more money. Right? Like having having a particular, having a primary cause. Of good in human life is enormously revealing. Relieving. And revealing, I guess. But is enormously relieving. Because you know always, whenever things are wrong, you know where to put your attention. But ultimately, right. settling on a single point is an arbitrary decision. Any of those frameworks that choose one thing as primary, let's say conscious thought or the uh, the state of neuromuscular trauma or gut microbiome, diet, whatever whatever it is, it's, it's an arbitrary decision to settle on one of those is more important than any of the others. All of them are influencing
0: each other in every direction all of the time. So do you feel like it doesn't matter what you pick? Just pick something? Sort of, Mm
1: -hmm. sort of, what I, what I do think is it helps to have some system because constraints are useful, having decisions made for you ahead of time are useful, Mm -hmm. having a structure in place that frees up attention and the kind of dogmatic grip onto a single root cause of human good, I think has the potential to be harmful. Because it prevents you from treating the entire thing as a deeply interconnected, complex system, where in a given moment, the tension on one area might actually be the most impactful spot. In other words, I don't think there's an easy answer to these questions. The the ongoing art is one of not extremes. And grabbing onto a single dogmatic framework is always an extreme. Probably. Mm -hmm. But that's a, that's a dogmatic statement.
0: So there has to be a caveat. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking about my uh, eating choices now, because that's probably the the easiest example on how I've recently, maybe the last year made the rule I create a dogma for myself that I'm not going to follow any eating dogma uh, and like to simply eat based on how I feel, which is its own like independent variable of like, I drink coffee if I feel like it, I don't, if I don't. Um, but that I know, I know that's not necessarily the best. That's not always going to be the thing that's going to lead to healthy nutrition and then Going down the chain to making more money or whatever the end desires are, mm-hmm. um, but it is a lot easier to just believe that is true and eat my chocolate chip cookie when I feel like it. No, mm-hmm. yeah. there, there's
1: a question in the kind of background of, the, of what you were just saying, and all of this of what are we aiming at? So the kind of simple version of that is. If you're aiming at powerlifting versus long distance running, then certain diets are probably better. Mm -hmm. If you're aimed at business success versus, let's say, cultivating a life of deep nourishing relationships, certain approaches to scheduling your day are going to be better. if you're pointed at uh, constantly deepening, ever evolving, ever more accurate, never quite it, real-time creation of an answer to the question of what is the best life, Each of these questions ends up carrying a slightly different flavor.
0: It's making me think now of how uh, shortly after my four-hour work week obsession, I kind of did a 180, and then I really wanted to live by the idea that if you follow your passion, the money will come. Uh, So I did everything kind of the opposite of what I did uh, through my adolescence, which was I'm going to live the most interesting, spiritual, fulfilling life. And I'm going to convince myself that money is going to come out of the end of it. Like, I remember like making very poor or I mean, uh, irrational financial decisions based on passion, really convincing myself that this is going to lead to a million dollars somehow. And I, I, you know, and I still kind of believe that even though now I'm like, Oh, that was just me making an excuse to have an adventure. But um, yeah, it's it's uh it really is important what your question is. Um So I'm curious now about what your thoughts are on goals. Goals. Yeah, like uh is that do you set like what are what are your thoughts on goals? Do you set goals? I I've been reading a lot about opposing viewpoints on even yeah. having goals in the first point. Yeah, the first there are place. amazing fights about that in this space. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the context for my opinion on goals is everything we just talked about. Mm-hmm. I think having a single framework approach for goals is nice. Right. In that it lets you settle into a single framework. And it's probably good in that following a framework is usually better than flailing. And I think that all of the fights about the right approach towards goals are a little funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I've experimented a lot with different approaches to goals I, I went through a period of time where I had zero financial goals but I did have daily practice goals I went through uh, another period of time where I would only have quarterly goals no annual ones and the goals, the goals would be broken down very clearly into projects and tasks and those would be divvied up it was kind of a beautiful structural pyramid shape um I went through another period where I wouldn't set any goals. I would just sit down. I did this this spring. I would just sit down every day in the morning when it was time to work on my Zafu. And I would close my eyes and I would feel into the next thing to do. Hmm. And it was actually that period that birthed the business monk hmm. and laid the foundation for a lot of what I'm doing today. So that was an amazing period. I had zero goals or tasks or projects that I was constant. Consciously engaged in, I would just sit down, feel into the next right thing, and then do it. So I've experienced amazing results from a variety of different approaches to goals. The one thing I've noticed that works the worst for me is to not have an approach. Hmm. So goals are a kind of core part of the human psyche goals are a slightly they're essentially desires with an extra connotation hmm. desires with the connotation of achievement and desire is clearly central to human life Some people say desire is human life. Human beings are just desire. That's it. Every other part of a human being is presupposed by desire. So whether or not that's true, it's obviously important. If you're not in conscious relationship with desire, then you're not in conscious relationship with life. That side of things, just having a completely unconscious relationship with life, I think is obviously worse than having a conscious relationship with life. So I'm, I'm continuing to kind of develop my relationship with desires and goals right now. I'm working with annual goals. Mm -hmm. They have a certain breakdown. There's more flexibility in my days than I've had in the past in the way that it, it works out. But I'm, I'm, Kind of holding on lightly to my current approach to goals as a kind of arena in which to continue developing my relationship with desire, which to yeah. me is kind of the purpose of having goals.
0: How long do you give a, a given system typically before you switch it up, as far as goals or, I personally or goals? don't don't have a clear hierarchical okay. order. Or in in the in your past couple of years, how long does like a certain thing last? I I tend to have kind of quarterly cycles on average. Okay. Cool. It's so like by the season. The yeah. Seasonal. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't think yeah. that's the right approach. Is what I've noticed. Huh. Well, actually, also well, the one thing that I've learned, I think, in the last year is to not have more than one system. Like even something as simple as like I used to keep track of weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly goals all at once. And just looking at my spreadsheet, it was so complex that I, it was hard to really do anything mm-hmm. so I, I' I've been switching back and forth in the last few months between monthly and quarterly, but uh, just having one target of it's an arbitrary amount of time to look at makes it just easy on the mind and yeah. this is what I'm focusing on in my different categories of what I care about right. there's there's
1: an amazing making decisions like earlier you talked about having difficulty, for example, writing when you had a kind of clear goal attached to it. Yeah, like the goals, having a clear goal kind of impacting the intrinsic reward of the experience. So that's not true for everyone, but it is true for some people. And there's a kind of, on the business monk path, you could say, there's a kind of delicate balance between A, acknowledging your strengths, your natural tendencies like that. So trying to, for example, for you, set up your life in such a way that you have the opportunity to engage in intrinsically rewarding activities as hidden as possible from their connection to concrete goals. Mm -hmm. There's a, a delicate balance between doing that and also consciously leaning into the edge. For example, writing with a concrete goal that would force you to confront the inner psychological block leading to that difficulty, which if it opened presumably would lead to kind of greater freedom and facility in creating art generally.
0: Can you break that down? Uh, Sure. Yeah.
1: exactly. Well, can can we use what you brought up as a kind of concrete
0: example? Um, We have a totally actually a contradictory point that uh, on that, from what I just said, but why don't you say what you're saying first?
1: Well, what sketch for me, what exactly the relationship with writing and goals is.
0: Um, when I feel like I need to write something, let's say like for an email campaign, I I hate it, but the same exact content, if it just comes to me and I want to doodle in my notebook, gives me so much joy. And I have like notebooks and notebooks of things that could be used productively that I just never put out. Uh, because that that transition is painful. Although something I realized yesterday, I, I met this um, self-described hippie, spiritual guy um, uh, in the green belts. He was just—he's a guy. He he lives with no money. He lives off the grid. Lives out of his truck. Travels from place to place. Completely Taoist to the extreme. Really interesting guy. hits all these stories. And I asked if there's any way to get in touch with him. He was like, no. And I felt sad that all of his stories will never make it to the masses. Because like, oh, like this guy could make a book. It would be such a great book, Like, but he doesn't care about that. And that, that upset me. Like, I kind of got upset that this guy's not doing anything productive with all of the experiences that he, he gathered. And I thought that was funny that I would care about that. Yeah. Because I struggled to do that myself. I mean, or I, I, I have this internal block with doing that sometimes.
1: Well, this is a big question. This is, this is a major question is... If you know, people who know Buddhism better than I do will hopefully forgive me for the kind of gross oversimplification that I'm about to make, but there are these two, the two first foundational paths of Buddhism, one the Theravadin. You could say the goal is enlightenment, personal enlightenment. That's it. Mm-hmm. The second the Mahayana path, the goal is the enlightenment of all beings. So you actually hold off on becoming fully enlightened and escaping the cycle of birth and death until all beings are enlightened. You stay on this realm and you suffer and you give and you love. And there are those two. There's a third cool one, Vajrayana. Um, and in a, in a certain sense, the business monk is kind of capitalist Vajrayana. Mm-hmm. Um but these there's two poles of is is my personal enlightenment in my is my personal enlightenment the highest good maybe because it's the only real happiness that i actually have control over in a way that's qualitatively different from the control i have over anyone else's happiness or is it more important to help others than to focus on my own awakening that that kind of tension we I think everyone intuits that both are probably important, right but that that tension is a big way was in what you just described, he's like, I don't yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm here to live an awakening life and be lived like everyone else. Um, yep. But but there's a kind of rage, of it, but that could help others.
0: Yeah, but I was like, even thinking it could help actually, and maybe question like why I cared that he didn't do like get this story out, in that it would be of personal joy to him hmm. to get it out, or or perhaps monetary or yeah. some sort of benefit to him, right? Because um, I, I was raised uh, under uh, my dad's uh, Buddhist Theravada, uh, and that's always been. Like I, I'm through my Tim Ferriss obsession period. I was also like very solipsic. Like all you guys are probably just a figment of my imagination. I'm just trying to entertain my consciousness as much as possible. Yeah. Um. And uh. yeah, that, that just seems more at home to me, but at the same time, you know, I still have all the other things on top right. of too. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a powerful question. Yeah. But we were going to get concrete about examples um all oh, right so writing, writing. For so for example for you know if you and I were were working together on a business month program mm-hmm. then the foundation that would be set up would be uh, an approach to writing to generating content for emails where you were hidden from the fact that they were for emails you'd have mm-hmm. simply content generation time writing in a journal and then there would be a separate period of time where out of all of the content that you generated, you then selected certain pieces for specific business purposes. Mm-hmm. They'd be separate, so you'd have the the freedom of expression in both. Mm. And simultaneously, there's a flavor of avoidance in that approach, which is, right now, there's a block internally, where if there's a concrete business purpose to creating art, then there's an obstruction to you creating art. Hmm. And your life would be more freely expressed. You'd be simply more free, more joyful yourself, more of service to others if that block wasn't there. And so in addition to setting up that kind of structure for your days, (coughs) excuse me, you would simultaneously figure out some practice for you to lean into that edge and melt that block, whatever's causing it.
0: I'll be honest. I kind of like floated off during the last, like now, like once we, uh, like the, when you're saying like time for creative expression and then time for business use, uh, like oh that that totally made sense. And then the block thing, I was just like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the harder part. Yeah. To summarize all of that, it makes sense to capitalize on strengths and what's easy. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, I think it makes sense to deliberately set up periods of time of doing the difficult things so as to confront and work through the things that make them difficult. That's the kind of personal growth. It's the yoga of business
0: gotcha like sodden is not meant to be easy right right yeah well i feel like we've asked a lot of good questions here that i'm going to think about um do you have an idea of when your book's going to be out roughly i know you're in the process no i'm doing the traditional publishing route so it'll be uh, a couple of
1: years but it'll be done by december and I'll be putting out some pieces of content from it until then.
0: Nice. Uh, how far along are you? Are you with a publishing house or are you still shopping? Still shopping. Still okay. shopping. Yeah. The
1: bulk of focus has been on the actual writing, but now yeah. starting to have the execution conversations.
0: Yeah. Are you planning on uh, having the book complete before you reach the publisher? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Sweet. Uh, I'll look forward to it. Um yeah, this has been a pleasure. I'm going to think about a lot of these uh, topics, questions you brought up. Um, is there anything uh, you have coming up that you want to let people know about?
1: Sure. So the next live event that I have happening, with well, there's one private one, but there's a sacred business workshop in Los Angeles, October 20th to 22nd that someone just dropped out of, so there's now a spot available that is essentially going to be on all of these topics, the kind of practical tools of creating business as a spiritual practice, of using business as a vehicle for constant deepening and awakening. And besides that, to stay posted on anything else coming up and other thoughts that I've been having, thebusinessmonk.com has a newsletter.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, always a pleasure, Dave. Uh, may our future assistants uh, see this one as well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk soon. Yeah. All right. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to be a part of the virtual audience for future episodes, make sure to follow me at proudcast.io/ruando. See you next time.